0: over the last couple of weeks, um, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, which uh, if you were here in the first week, Lily shot her hand straight up and said, it's all about our attitude. And uh, she was right. It is. It's all about our attitude. We've been talking about essentially um, what is Jesus' counter-narrative for happiness Happiness is a lot deeper and a lot broader and a lot wider than often in society we kind of contain and limit it to. And so we've talked about how it is that uh, the poor and meek might be blessed, how it is that those who hunger and thirst and mourn might be blessed. And this week we're going to look at the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 in verses 7 and 8, where it says that blessed are the merciful and pure in heart, For they will be shown mercy and they will see God. So, something happened recently, um, it's about a month ago now, and I'd like to share it with you because for me it beautifully encapsulates what these Beatitudes might mean for our lives. So, on the evening of the 9th of September, which is about a month ago, Lorraine, my wife, went to pick up our 16-year-old daughter from work at about 8.30 p.m. She'd just finished her shift at uh, the Asian noodle place down the road. And um, as, as her or I often did, went and grabbed her from the end of her shift. This night, our 16-year-old happened to be having a sleepover at her friend's place. So she dropped her there. And for all intents and purposes, roughly a 15, 20-minute trip. Um, and I assumed that Lorraine would be home around sort of 8.45 p.m. So 8.45 p.m. turns up and uh, Lorraine's not home and so I don't think too much about it Um, you know my wife uh, if you haven't worked this out yet maybe you've only just met her recently my wife is very social and so it's not unusual uh, for her to get waylaid because She has this amazing capacity and this endearing quality of many, many endearing qualities, um, that she can engage anyone, whether she's met them or not, uh, and engage them in a conversation such that that person feels like, in many ways, they are the only person in the world. They feel valued. They feel engaged. And so at 8.45, I was like, she probably stopped to chat. It'll be fine. Nine o'clock rocks around and I'm thinking, "Mm, okay, what do I do now? Um, It's not too bad, you know, maybe maybe she'd gone to the shops and, uh, you know, they shut at nine o'clock. And one thing that I do know about my wife and one uh, way that I really know that she has this endearing quality is whenever I go to the supermarket, people come up to me, random strangers that I've never met. Uh, The people at checkout, the people on the floor staff, the the managers, the just general public, and go, are you Lorraine's husband? I'm like, is this an awkward moment? Have I forgotten who you are? And I kind of look at them and I go, yeah, hey, how you going? And they go, oh, you probably don't know me. I'm like, okay, good. Um, But uh, your wife's lovely. And I'm like, yes, yes, of course she is. And I agree with them profusely. All the time thinking, how do you know who I am? Like, does, does my wife go out with a t-shirt that has my face on it? Because I'm by myself. Sometimes, occasionally, I have our three-year-old gyro with me and they probably, you know, kind of put two and two together. But they, people come up to me and they're like, hey, you must be Lorraine's husband. And we chat and amazing. Like, it, it's truly an endearing quality. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe she's gone to the shops. She'll be home by 9.15. 9.15 rocks around, my wife's still not home. <laughs> Okay, um, she doesn't get out much. And when I say that, she doesn't get, much when, she doesn't get out much without the kids. And so uh, I'm thinking, well, her sister lives just down the road. Maybe she's dropped in for a cup of tea. 9.30. Oh, I don't know. This is, like, this is a bit late. What do I do? So I, I ring uh, our 16-year-old daughter and go, hey, is mum with you? And she goes, no, she just dropped me off and took off. She should be home well and truly by now. And so now I'm starting to get worried. And so I'm like, what do I do? Do I call the police? And if I do, what am I going to say to them? Oh, my really social wife has been out of the house for an hour. I feel like she might be missing. I don't think that's going to fly. So I'm like, all right, it'll be all right. Uh, I go and clean the kitchen and I go and have a shower. And now it's 9.45. And I'm like, okay. And so I try and ring her and she doesn't answer. And so I text her and uh, I send her a text and I just go, where are you? And three minutes later she replies and I go, yeah, until I read the text. And I've actually, I've kind of kept this for um, my own perpetuity, Uh, it's up there on the screen. So I send her a text and I've even got the timestamps. I've taken a screenshot. So this this is my life on the 9th of September between 9.49 p.m. and approximately 10.08 p.m. And I just texted, where are you? And she's replied, and this is why I was quite confused even though I was excited when I got the text. Gotta take a DV family to Thomas Street, explain later, kiss kiss, mum and three kids and preg. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? and so i'm like okay okay let me think about this how and i'm just drawing conclusions here how is it that between in the three minute drive between dropping off our daughter to her friend's place and getting home she's run into a family that's possibly fleeing domestic violence dv yeah um to toma street which i take as roma street in the city um as a mum, and she's got three kids and she's preg so she's probably pregnant I, I can't, that's kind of it and so then i'm like what like Isn't that a police matter? Is that even safe? When were you gonna talk to me about that? And then eight minutes later, so like the longest eight minutes of my life, she's uh, all good. I'm taking her to Rona Street and she'll get a taxi from the DVD people. Where are you now? Haven't left yet. I'm like, left where? I don't even know where you are. And why can't she get a taxi from wherever she is? So I ring her at 10.08 and she answers, now you can take that off the screen if you want to, and she answers and I'm like, what is going on? And anyway, she explains. Essentially what happened is that my wife was driving the three minute drive from uh, our daughter's friend's house to home and she passes this woman who's heavily pregnant with her three kids on the side of the road and she keeps driving and she just has this sense that she needs to turn around and so she does a block and comes all the way around and parks next to this woman who's on the phone and so she gets out of the car sits and chats with the kids and plays with the kids and uh, the woman gets off the phone she'd been on the phone to dv connect so that was a reasonable assumption on my behalf dv connect is a, is an agency that works uh, supporting women who are particularly uh, women particularly and their kids who are fleeing domestic violence she'd been on the phone to them And basically, her ex-partner had been released from jail that day. He was an extremely violent man. And she'd found out that he was on his way to their house. And so she would grabbed the kids, she'd showered them, she would dressed them warmly, and she'd fled. And so my amazing wife decided to go back around and stop. And, you know, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I need to get to Roma Street. She's like, I got a car seat, I got a van, jump in. I'll take you to Roma Street. Not Toma Street, not Rona Street, but Roma Street. Anyway, um, I'll take you to Roma Street. They get to Roma Street. uh, They get a message from DV Connect again. It's gonna be a while. We found a halfway house for you, but we essentially need to organize someone to come and pick you up. And so Lorraine says, where's the halfway house? They get the address and she takes them there and helps them settle in. So that was where my wife was in the hour and a half that she didn't communicate with me but was such... I, I share that with you. Not to tell you how amazing she is but how poor her communication is. <laughs> but because for me it was such a profound example of an act of mercy. It was such a profound example of purity of heart. The diff, uh, the. Dictionary definition of mercy is this compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm And so those who are merciful Generally hold some kind of power over someone else They have the power over their situation and and might ask or wonder well what was Lorraine's power in that situation was she really in a position to punish or harm this woman and their children she was just driving past but as I got kinda thinking about that situation and as um, I was kind of thinking through that encounter that she had the power that Lorraine had was that she could have just kept driving she could have not turned around now would the woman and her kids and her unborn baby have made it safely to Roma Street and then safely to the halfway house without my wife, possibly, but certainly not as easily, certainly not as quickly, certainly not in the comfort and the presence of someone who really only just cared about their safety. And so, I see mercy as a choice. Mercy is a choice to be compassionate. Mercy is a choice to forgive when we could actually do nothing or we could seek to punish. And so my challenge, our challenge, I think, in being merciful is that often when we are confronted with these opportunities, I don't know that we always respond the way that my wife did. I know that I don't. When I'm confronted by other people's lives when I am confronted by other people's otherness when I'm confronted by their brokenness I think that often my response is either offense and judgment or apathy offense or judgment in that situation would have looked like "Well, what's she doing on the side of the road at 830 at night with her kids running a mark typical typical for that side of town some people just shouldn't have kids we do it all the time. I do it. I, I, I assume things about people. We're, we're offended and we judge their brokenness. We're offended and we judge their situation. We're, we're offended and we judge their difference to us. We feel threatened by it and so we judge them for it. Or often, I think my response is apathy if we don't respond with judgment or offense, sometimes either people's brokenness is so overwhelming that we just can't kind of process it or deal with it, or sometimes I think it just becomes so commonplace in our society and in our lives that we just become numb to it. Will I stop? Nah, I, I gotta get home, it's late, it's night, it's, you know, I'm sure she'll be fine. And so, if I'm honest, I think I often take offense or judge or am apathetic when my response should actually be to show mercy. So I'm offended by their difference and what I perceive to be a lack in the other. And somehow I become concerned that their brokenness will kind of impact my life, will, will take me out of my comfort, will distract me on my way home, will, will distract me out of what it is that I need to do. It'll distract from my comfort in my identity. I think sometimes when people are so different to us, that uh, we can often find that we feel a bit threatened by that for some reason, because that puts into question who I am and how that works. Whereas instead, Jesus' example, Jesus' presence in my life should allow me to empathize, should allow me to be changed, should allow me to try and understand what it might mean if that was my brokenness too. What, What if I was standing on the side of the road with three kids? what it might mean if that was me, what it might mean if I were to use my power in some small way to bring compassion, to to bring love, to bring peace to that situation. And so I think that mercy is not just a one-way exchange. Mercy, our lives are enriched by the act of mercy. Other people's brokenness should impact and change us for the better of all. And this, I think, is also what it might mean to be pure in heart, to allow Jesus to cause us to see ourselves in other people, to see ourselves in their difference. And it's then that I think that we can actually begin to see God. We can begin to see God in the act of mercy. We can begin to see God in the receipt of mercy. We can begin to see God in the sharing of mercy and in that interaction between Lorraine and that woman and her unborn baby and three children, I think we can see God just as much as, depending on your context and depending on uh, whether you've grown up in church life or not, but just as much as the limitations that we put on what it is and how it is that we think we can see God. If we believe that God is love, if we believe that God is a God of mercy, then God is essentially represented in acts of love and acts of mercy, and God is seen in those acts of love and acts of mercy. And throughout, you know, over the last number of weeks we've been talking about this, but we can see this in Scripture, we can see this through uh, enacting Jesus in our lives, but Jesus gives us an indication of where God is. God is with the broken. God is with the poor. God is with the hungry. God is with the marginalized and lost. And he's redeeming and he's showing mercy and revealing himself through that. And he asks us to do the same. I honestly don't know if I would have stopped. I honestly don't know if I would have gone back around the block if it was me in that car that night. I don't. And so I was so, once I'd gotten over the being infuriated, I was so um, deeply moved by by Lorraine's relating that encounter to me that it kind of got me thinking about opportunities for mercy in my own life, just in day-to-day interactions. How many opportunities for mercy do we pass by? How many opportunities for mercy do I pass by? And so I think that out of understanding that encounter, I have a deeper appreciation of what it might mean to be merciful and pure in heart in the day-to-day. And I do. I believe that we can see God. I believe that Jesus is revealed in and through the giving and the receiving of mercy. In that uh, passage that Mina read for us, she said, Jesus says that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, mercy, not religion. And he says that he came to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. They're challenging words. They're challenging words for my life. And I'm sure they're challenging words for you. And so my hope and my prayer this evening and this week is that we would be impacted by the other, that we would be impacted by people's brokenness such that we're not offended, such that we don't judge, such that we're not apathetic, but such that we display mercy. And that somehow in that act of mercy and that sharing of mercy, that God is revealed. May it be so. Three questions for us to consider. Number one, do you consider yourself a merciful person? What does that mean? What might that look like? Number two, to whom is it within your power to show mercy? Who is the other to you? And number three, do you think that we can see God? And if so, in what ways could this occur?